you were rough tough. You'd hold off to October for that cold like the rest of us. I am. I'm fighting it like a trooper. And losing. No, no. It's, it's Maybe just... you should get the Romulans to help you. Maybe we're, we're just in the Empire Strikes Back at the minute, and it looks like Vader's got me on the ropes, but man flu is particularly hardy strain of illness that only the hardiest of hard men can uh, can withstand i tell women that you know compared to pregnancy man flu just just wipes giving birth in the pain stakes and every single one of them slap me i'm captain benjamin cisco welcome to deep space nine red alert all crew members report to battle stations red alert shields up what shields you're Starfleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello and welcome to Listen to The Prophets. Today we're going to bask in that pale moonlight of a lovely... Did you have a dance with the devil? No, 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 no. Oh, wait, I see what you did there. Yay. So that's where they really got this title from. Hmm. I, I don't know. Okay, you know, I'm going to interrupt you right away, and I'm going to oh, say I did a quick, a quick internet search, and the question is, what is the origin of the phrase "dance with the devil in the pale moonlight"? And I got a response on Quora, Q U O R A, and it said it was used in the Batman movie 1989, and there's a combination of two other phrases: one being "dance with the devil," which is to flirt with danger or take the ultimate risk. And the other is the idea of moonlighting and refers to activities carried out under cover of darkness to avoid detection. The Mm. word pale is added for effect and echoes the lyrics of a song or two, as well as being the title of a famous Star Trek episode. Putting them together is a way of making the adage more memorable, seeing that dialogue in films is sometimes too quick for an audience to pick up. I think the phrase is clunky, but you have to put yourself in a position of the scriptwriters who deal with this all the time and tend to know what they are doing. Now, I don't know about the validity of that answer, but the answer would be saying that it is not, you know, connected with any sort of famous work, which is what I assumed it had been. Right. Um, but the answer also says, the, the answer makes it sound as if the Batman movie lifted it from Star Trek, as far as the second part of the expression, and this well, episode was after Batman, so there, I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not uh, going to take any, you know, any credit that this answer is correct. I'm just saying that this is the answer I read. Yeah, that's also in the Wikipedia entry too. That's uh, saying uh, the title of this episode came from the line in the 1989 Batman film. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? But, uh, but I. That is, it, I mean, your answer has a little more meat to it, although it seems to be a little bit incorrect. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know the total accuracy of it, but it's mm-hmm. certainly uh, based on my quick internet search. I'm not finding anything that is, re- you know, referencing it to any sort of classical work. I thought there might be something like in the Bible or in Shakespeare or something, you know, yeah. something you know truly. Uh, it sounds you know, like meaty. a Shakespeare thing. Mm-hmm. 
uh, so I was, I was first. I was disappointed with myself that I didn't know where it came from because I thought it was something famous, and then I was disappointed that it doesn't come from something famous. Well, it does come from something famous. It comes from the '89 Batman film. Well, I, I meant something with you know, <laughs> something with slightly older origins. Well, it, we get older every day, so it's getting an older origin as we as we as we talk. Yeah, you're not so. really ju- you're not really making it any better. So that uh, now that the introductions are, oh wait no we didn't do that oh, so uh, are we on a show? Oh, I, I thought we were just talking. Oh yes, yes we are on a show. And with me is uh, hmm, let's see, I got any piffy interesting? Uh, we'll just uh, Sir Andrew Optolytic Data Rod Leyland. <laughs> you can uh, only record on me once. <laughs> and. Paul, I'm going to stab the bartender, Spataro. Uh, Never trust him when he's drunk. That bartender's in trouble. And uh, Dave, I want a new outfit, Pascarella. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> well, I could have said, Dave, I'm the Tongo girl's uh, uh, pants. Stop the Ozzy, your lawyer. <laughs> as as my singing English lawyer, yeah, it, can I, only, I, it can only go downhill from here. Yeah, you, you, it, there's no way you can go from this conversation that ends well. So leave the Tongo dancers alone. I I shall take your legal advice and move on. Do we have any Star Trek news? Um, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I don't think I have anything out of the ordinary. Which by the time this airs would be old anyway, and I guess the other two fellows have nothing to say either. Nothing here. I got nothing. I ain't got nothing. I got nothing at all. So we are here today to discuss in the pale moonlight. Blackmail, treachery, deception. They're finished with us. They're coming after you. Tactics of war or Cisco's weapons of choice on the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Episode uh, 19 of season 6, directed by Victor Lobel. Lobel? Lobley? Lobby. Lobby. Lovey. Oh, yes, Lovey. <laughs> Story by Peter Allenfield. Teleplay by Michael Taylor. Produced by Rick Berman, Iris Stephen Bear. Featuring music by not the David Bell I went to high school with, but another one. And our guest star. Guest How do you know it's not the David Bell you went to high school with? Have you kept in touch with that David Bell? Yes, I taught. Yes, yes, I do. Could it be he's just kind of modest and didn't want you to know he's worked on Star Trek? I doubt. Two years after high school, he was featuring. He was writing music for Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. When I know for a fact he was probably DJing um, at his mom's club. Many musical impresarios. So he was involved in music, and he actually is still involved in radio as we speak. But I don't think he did this music. And we're getting way off topic. Stay on topic. Radio Gaga. <laughs> you know, I really like that song. But anyway, that that that's a side side. All we hear is Lady Gaga. Ugh. Well, she's all right. Anyway, uh, let's just jump into the plot. We'll talk about this guest stars as we go. Uh, Andy, stop sending photos. You're distracting me. Sorry, I, I was wearing no pants, and I thought it'd cheer you up. Oh, see, now I gotta look. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Well, that's well. Those are lovely uh, ridges. Thighs, thighs. What up here? You're saying don't look down. My okay. eyes are they're up not, here. They're not pillows, dude. <laughs> the plot. 
Kaplot. Captain, not Kapla, Kaplot. <laughs> Kaplunk. Don't, that's I didn't a get totally a different thing. I didn't get a Kaplunk out of you. Badoosh. <laughs> Captain Benjamin Sisko, conflicted over events of the last two weeks, recounts his experiences in a personal log entry, the details of which are revealed in flashbacks. The losses suffered by the Federation in the war with the Dominion are taking their toll, with Cisco noting that whenever a casualty list is posted, at least one of his officers spots the name of a friend or loved one. A major advantage the Dominion has in their non-aggression pact with the Romulans, who are allowing... Blah, blah. Hold on. Are you glad you pushed to make sure you were the one who read this? I read this last night. Yeah, and I'm sure it's doing you a lot of good right now. Go ahead. Well, it's probably because I'm not wearing glasses. You wouldn't hit a guy I, wearing glasses, would you? I was afraid you were going to say pants. So just Are you allergic to retinox? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a major advantage the Dominion has in their non-aggression pact with the Romulans, who are allowing the Dominion free passage through their territory. See, that sentence makes no sense. It doesn't even need to be in there. That's why it threw me off. Cisco decides that in order for the Federation and its allies to win the war, he must bring the Robulans in on their side no matter what. Cisco enlists the help of former Cardassian spy Elim Garrick to obtain intelligence from Cardassia, assuming the Dominion must be considering a conquest of Romulus, eventually. But all of Garrick's contacts end up dead Aww. shortly after communicating with him. Garrick instead suggests they forge a recording of Dominion leaders discussing, discussing a surprise <laughs> attack. <laughs> Hesitant but driven forward by the Dominion's recent conquest of Beta Zed. Eh, really? <clears throat> the, they didn't see that coming? Useless. Entire planet of teleplasts. What's that? I don't know. It's a ship. Are they friendly? Cisco obtains permission from Starfleet. I'm, I'm feeling hostility, Captain. No kidding. They're shooting us. Cisco obtains permission from Starfleet to proceed. On Garrick's request, Cisco secures the release of a, a forger named Graython Tolar from a Klingon prison. That must be a lovely stay. Then, in order to obtain an authentic Cardassian secure data rod, he is forced to trade a large quantity of biomimetic gel a rare, dangerous, and highly regulated material that usually is nice on my skin. Dr. Bashir strongly objects because Dr. Bill has had way above his allotment of mimetic gel for this for this quarter <laughs> and relents only when Cisco orders him unequivocal, unequivocal just do it, <laughs> providing the doctor with the orders in writing. The doctor still vows to lodge a formal complaint. Ooh, I'm so scared. Matters are complicated when Tolar stabs Quark in an altercation while drunk. To keep Tolar out of trouble, he bribes Quark and convinces Odo to drop the matter. Every man has his price. At this point, Cisco recognizes the legal and ethical compromises. Well, now he does. He is making but presses on knowing it is for the greater good. Tolar creates a holographic recording of a Dominion meeting between Damar... Emo, Cardassian, and Weyun, wonderful Vorta, discussing plans involving the Romulan invasion. Meanwhile, on Garrick's advice, Sisko invites Vrenak, the fake, an influential Romulan senator to Deep Space Nine in secret. Sisko shows Vrenak the recording and gives him the data rod, but the senator discovers the forgery and departs. It's a fake. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> 
furious in Valley to expose the deception. As, I'm sorry, that's my favorite line from the whole show. Oh, yeah. That's, that's my As, favorite line from seven seasons. <laughs> I'm going to have to work that into – actually, I think I did work that into real life just recently, and nobody got it. As Cisco faces the possibility that his actions may actually force the Romulans to join the Dominion once Vrenak returns to the Empire. He learns, however – that Vrenak's ship was destroyed en route. Ooh. Cisco angrily confronts Garrick, who admits he planted a bomb on Vrenak's ship in case the forgery was not accepted. Garrick also admits he killed Tolar in order to keep his work secret. Garrick maintains that when the Romulans scan the wreckage and find the data rod, any imperfections will be attributed to damage from the explosion, and thus the recording will be will implicate the Dominion as planned. Garrick asserts that Cisco's included him in the plan to do things that Cisco was unwilling to do. Garrick also states that Cisco can ease his conscience with the knowledge that the Alpha Quadrant may have been saved at the cost of the life of one Romulan senator, one criminal, and the self-respect of one Starfleet officer, which he calls a bargain. Subsequently, the Romulans join with the Federation to declare war against the Dominion, quickly striking at nearby Dominion outposts. At the end of his log entry, Sisko admits that Garrick was right about a guilty conscience being a small price to pay, and and states, somewhat uncertainly, that he can live with his decision for the good of the Alpha Quadrant. He then orders the computer to delete the entire log entry, fade to black. Wow! I love this episode. I've watched this numerous times. For the rewatch, I watched it last night. I watched it earlier in the week. It's just, I, I mean, there's so many great lines in there. It's just that the it, it's a fake one is just so easy to do, and it's so over the top. I mean, gripping that, <laughs> holding that rod up, it's a fake. <laughs> it's hard to believe that the next episode, this was all a dream. No, oh. I'm only kidding. Now, if he was going to, you know, ultimately, if, what's his name, uh, Mr. Fake is going to get killed, why, is it worthwhile for them to have sacrificed all they did in order to get that fake created? Couldn't they have gone with a slightly lesser quality fake and not, not, you know, no biomimetic gel and all of that? No, because that was not Garrick's plan. Garrick even says, in, after Cisco comes in and slugs him in the face... He actually says, I had hoped that Tolar's work would hold up. So this was a backup plan in case it didn't work. <laughs> and also, if you look at the scene where they're watching the the fake that Tolar's created, Avery Brooks plays that as he's not 100% convinced by it. But he's so far along in the plan at that point, he can't back down. Oh, that yeah. was my interpretation of how he acted it anyway. He yeah, was like, hmm... Yeah, because his body language is not conveying like, aha, look, we got it. Look, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, I could go, go with that. I think that's that's fair. Uh, the other, the question I had that kept crossing my mind as the episode went on, and then it's kind of resolved at the end, but I'm not still totally satisfied with. And it's these are the only negatives I can give you at all. I mean, I, I just think this is a great episode. But uh, is it worthwhile? I know he's doing it to clear his conscience or to you know to get. To, to vent and get all this all off his chest, but would you actually record something that says what you did uh, and take the chance that at some point someone finds out and you know totally turns everything around because of that? Well, uh, you know it's well I'm gonna, I'm gonna 
goes a step further. You know, they, they resolve it by having him say he's going to erase it at the end. But, you know, as we know with computers, when you delete something, it's not necessarily totally eliminated from the hard drive. I don't know, you know, the technology of that day as far as that goes. Uh, but this was also inspired somewhat by Watergate. So that brings it back to, okay, he recorded this, but it may have been, you know, a misstep on his part if, if it had come back to haunt him. See, I, it could be like Audacity, which doesn't serve it till you serve it, and therefore there's nothing on the hard drive. Yeah, I mean, it could be anything like that. I just think actually taking a chance of saying what you did out loud in any way, shape, or form in any circumstance is probably not a good idea. But that's – I'm I'm convinced that that's not a good idea, but I don't think that's a hole in the plot because I think they're saying to us that, you know, like I said, I think this is somewhat inspired by Watergate. So I think they're saying, Cisco, you know, maybe, maybe you know, he, he made a mistake by doing that. Maybe he shouldn't have done that. And that's why he ultimately says to delete it. See, I, I think it's purely a dramatic construct to bring us into the story and to make us complicit in what Cisco's doing. Because all the way through his monologues to camera, he's breaking the fourth wall. He's looking mm-hmm. directly at us. It's, so he's it's, making it's us, Cisco. he's putting us in his shoes. It's almost Cisco as breaking bed. You know, he's doing stuff that he should not be doing, stuff that goes against what you know, his character says he should do, but mm-hmm. they're justifying it every step of the way, and they're saying, well, what would you do in that situation? And I, I bought it all the way through it, because they're all little things that you can actually see Cisco doing. And in his monologue to camera, he actually says, and then I did this, and I thought, am I doing the right thing here? But it was only a little thing, so it doesn't matter. And yeah. then he keeps doing these little steps that ultimately lead him to the point of no return. Ultimately, it's the question that we get in so many of these Deep Space Nine episodes of, you know, does the ends justify the means? Does the uh, needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? Well, I'm not sure that's the question they're asking us. <laughs> but, uh, well, yeah, because as Garrick says, all it cost you was the life of um, a Romulan ambassador, because Garrick's clearly forgetting that he had guards with him, but they don't count. Uh, it cost you one crook... And your soul. That's all it costs mm-hmm. for him to take this action, but the repercussions of his action are w- much, much wider ranging. And then you start getting to, okay, are those wider ranging, you know, can you justify those wider ranging results? From the Federation point of view, yeah. You know, you're going to be saving a lot of Federation lives by, by increasing the, you know, the, the strength of your. Uh, resistance against the dominion on the other hand we really don't have any true evidence that the dominion was going to come after romulus so you know we're costing a lot so of how romulan many, how many lives. Romulan lives as he cost to bring them into the war yeah ah, but like the, again the if dominion... you're going back if you're going back to history truman and churchill both made similar decisions in world war ii mm-hmm. so and and there's you know it, there's it says that there was also uh some vietnam war uh, motivation here. Uh, just just working off the Wikipedia page, it said they this this started uh, with discussions about the Vietnam War, moved up to Watergate. It says they began working on, on an idea in which Jake Sisko discovered some incriminating information regarding Shakar, the leader of the Bajoran government. If revealed, it would bring down the government, and so at a time of war, Captain Sisko would be forced to prevent his son from revealing the information. At this point, the episode was called Patriot. The plot quickly evolved to become information on Sisko instead, 
And writer Michael Taylor wrote a screenplay which saw Jake Sisko attempting to interview Garrick, but following the evasiveness of the Cardassian, he realizes that something is amiss. Captain Sisko tells him to back off Garrick, but Jake's investigation reveals that the duo were attempting to bring the Romulans in the war against the Dominion. The captain tells his son he would prevent the publishing of the story, but the writing team didn't buy into the conflict between those two characters. I kind of like, I mean, I love this episode, so I don't want them to have changed it. I'm happy with what we got, but I kind of like that too. I, I like the idea of there being some sort of an ideological conflict between Cisco, you know, between the, the two Cisco's, uh, and, and, you know, ultimately how do they resolve it on a, professional level and then how do they resolve it on a personal level i think that would be a fascinating story now we got a fascinating story anyway so i'm not really (laughs) you know i'm not feeling too sad about the fact that they didn't go into that but i wouldn't have minded if they found some way later to kind of play on that you know i think it it goes back much further than the vietnam war what this reminded me of was the spanish-american war Mm. Oh, which I, know, I, which I don't know that much about, actually. So, so tell me. Because, because I feel Cisco, frankly, this was a great episode, but he was too low down to come up with this plan and to implement it. I could see a government doing something like this, but the plan originates at a much higher level. Do you know what I'm saying? He's merely a, a, a captain, and he's come up with this intriguing plot. To bring another country into a war. In the Spanish-American War, the driving force, one of them anyway, was William Randolph Hearst, who was a publisher. And he wanted us in a war with Spain to basically take Cuba because it would be good you know, for the economy to spread the flag. And it was basically uh, articles and he had uh, they didn't have uh, photographs so much, but, you know, artwork depicting the uh, supposed horrors going on in Cuba with uh, uh, women being molested and uh, people being killed. And then they just happened to have a... They believe today it was an accident that the boiler exploded on the USS Maine that happened to be docked in Havana Harbor. Remember the Maine! And to hell with Spain. To hell with you. But uh, the plot was great. You know, I I just could see this occurring at a higher level than Cisco's. To me, it really reminded me of that scene at the end of Patton, where he's telling General Smith, you know, you tell Ike to give me the word, and in 10 days, I'll have us at war. You make it look like it's their fault. I, well, I mean, you know, we we do have kind of the throwaway that Cisco gets some sort of permission from Starfleet to uh, proceed on this, but I kind of always in this episode that he's acting under the radar and that this you know the high-ranking people are saying yeah yeah that's good that's good but well it's called so, plausible deniability yeah, exactly. they're like yeah, that's what I was gonna go, go ahead with go with your plan and then and then if it blows up in his face they'll be like oh he was acting on his own he's a rogue agent I had no idea this was happening blah 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 yeah I, I got that from that one line as well Starfleet will <laughs> Starfleet will cover up the gel or whatever it was called yeah they're just turning a blind eye towards it well yeah exactly like bill says if the plan hadn't worked they would have said we don't know anything about this Mm. because you know there will be nothing written down about this no transmissions absolutely nothing at all starfleet will have gone hmm sounds intriguing let us know how you get on bye (laughs) great shot kid that was one in a million but that's and that's 
that's kind of where I feel like it. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be higher end, higher up in the government because, you know, the government just wants this to happen without you know the potential of them being implicated well, because the the likelihood of success is somewhat questionable. Well, it also it may not have gone any further than that admiral who what's his name Bruce Jenner uh, Ross Admiral Ross. It may not have gone it's any further definitely than Admiral not Ross. Bruce Jenner. No, he's Barry Jenner. Yes, that's who he is. It may not have gone any further than him. He, Cisco may have mentioned it's him. He's gone. Well, all right, but if any of your team are caught or killed during this action, and and Cisco's gone, all right. So it may not have gone any further than Admiral Ross, and that's as high up the chain of command it goes. Well, and the more, you know, obviously, the more people that are, you know, in the know about it, the more potential there is that even after the fact, the Romulans get wind that this went on. Yeah, because I I. I'm firmly of the opinion that those written orders to command to Dr. Bashir went missing. You you could have very easily, you know, we 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 talked about, you know, what what we left behind and and a season 8 thing. You could have very easily had the series end and then at the last minute decide, "Hey, you know what? We're going to do an eighth season and it could be okay. The Dominion War is over, but now the Romulans realize what, what how they were brought into it and now we're at war with the Romulans." <laughs> I, know, think they, you, I think they did a novel, didn't they? Isn't one of the Deep Space Nine follow-up novels that the Romulans find out about this? Which I'm I'm not, not sure. overly fond of. Because if you think about it, there's no reason for them to investigate this any further. And you don't normally waste time investigating a case that is open and closed. And the only other person who knows about this is Garrick. Cisco doesn't tell anybody about this. I mean, sure, if you talk to Quark, Odo and Bashir you may get that something was going on, but none of those three people have an inkling as to what was really happening. But there's a 35-minute gap in the log. Yes, but, you know, computer mistakes happen. No, they don't. Uh, Yeah, they (laughs) don't. I mean, we've not even even got into the, the whole Garrick side of this yet. He's absolutely magnificent in this episode. And it's one of those things that Deep Space Nine did spectacularly well this would not have worked with the guest star of the week but the fact that garrick's been there since essentially the first episode pulling his strings literally and figuratively and that cisco would go to him with the past knowledge that he has of him his experience just that's what sells the episode because there is no point there is no doubt in my mind that garrick's manipulating cisco just as much as cisco thinks he's working garrick yeah, I, I would I would agree. I think he was I think he was great in this because once again, you know, Andy Robinson kind of underplays it a little bit, and just you know, he's he's just so sinister and creepy in his own way. Uh, yeah, that you he's know, brilliant. Yeah, but, but you you know you you can't you know it's like you can't start something with him because he's going to take it to the you know the ultimate degree he's killing people without even you say so but then you know there's there's also you know some some shades of black shades of gray i guess there that you know does does cisco kind of you know he's complaining about it and he punches him out for it but you know in the reality isn't he happy that he did it you yeah, know, it's it's kind of it's kind of like the uh, Jack Nicholson speech from A Few Good Men. You know, you complain about me, but you want me at that wall. You need me at that wall. Mm-hmm. One of one of the great things about it is it it talks about the personal price of a war and it gives it a human face. It's very easy to to make lots of war picks that are just romps and they're fun. Kelly's Heroes is a great film, 
but it's nice to put Cisco in a position, somebody that we see day in and day out doing something like this that Picard wouldn't even countenance. And Kirk, you kind of, mm, Kirk may go along with it, but you know, at the end of it, he'd come out smelling of roses because he was Kirk. Kirk, Kirk would fact, go along with it, and but then before the plan was executed, he'd find some sort of go around to do it without having to dirty your hands at all. Yeah, to out getting his hands dirty. Whereas Cisco's hands are covered in shit at the end of this episode. Whereas Picard, and, you'd, you'd tell him the plan and he'd call up the Dominion and surrender. Yeah, he'd pull his shirt down and say, well, you say that, but every time Picard surrendered, he was right. Yeah. So, so you know. <laughs> and he saved lives, which is essentially what Cisco's doing here. But anyway, but yeah, so Gar- I think Garrett, what's in it for Garrett, though? I um, I don't know. I, I Garrett's motivations are kind of always motivations, yeah. Yeah. They, they never make it really clear exactly why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, you know, clearly he's he's not in you know in favorable in a favorable position with the uh, Cardassian government at all. Uh, but the, to what extent does he you know believe in their politics, but has been shunned despite that? And to what extent does he totally disagree with his? their politics and for what reason has he actually been shunned it may be because he disagrees with their politics we don't really ever get that and i don't think we ever need to get that well it could also be if the episode's original title was patriot there could be an element of patriotism however small on garrick's part that he doesn't approve of Guldukat getting into bed with the dominion in the first place he doesn't think that's something the Cardassians should ever have done. And this is his way of rectifying that wrong. But there's always, just the way Andy Robinson delivers his lines, there's always so much subtext to every single line he delivers that it's not quite clear. Because you've always got to ask yourself, what's in it for this person to be taking this position, especially politicians? So with, with Garrick, I, I went through the entire episode wondering what his motivations were. Cisco's motivations are obvious. He doesn't like what he's having to do, but it's clear why he's doing it. With Garrick, it's always, well, what's in this for you? Or does he just want to see the high and mighty Federation with a dirty tunic? I think it's that, but I think it's partially... I think he wants things to change eventually on Cardassia. I think he feels that this is the best way to free Cardassia in in the long run. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's very possible that he sees what Cisco is predicting for the, for the Romulans as being true and sees the same thing happening to Cardassia at some point. You know, that they, they're right now they're allies with the Dominion, but they will become subjugated by them at some point. They're already, you know, mm. almost willingly being subjugated at this point. <clears throat> you know, so far, realistically, you know, the Cardassia is lending its military power to the Dominion in their effort, you know, in their efforts to uh, take over. But other than a non-aggression pact, what exactly are they gaining from their, you know, from allying themselves with the Dominion? And I think Garrick may see that and say, yeah, this this is just the wrong way to go for, you know, this world. And clearly like it is lie. the wrong way. <laughs> well, it's like allying with the Nazis. Oh, yeah, it's a great idea, and then they invade you. Peace in our time. Yeah. All right, so while you guys were talking, I did some research. Oh. So... Um, the novel Hollow Men is a follow-up to the events of this episode, and a brief description of that novel states, 
This is from the book jacket. At the turning point of the Dominion War, Captain Benjamin Sisko of Starbase Deep Space Nine, facing certain defeat by the overwhelming and relentless forces of the Jem'Hadar and the Cardassians, went through with a secret plan to secure the aid of the Federation's longtime adversaries, Romulans. What began as a desperate attempt to save lives became a descent into an abyss of deception, moral compromises, and outright criminal acts. As Sisko sacrificed every ideal he held dear in order to preserve the civilization that espoused these self-same principles. Now, the aftermath of that choice is revealed for the first time as Cisco was summoned to Earth to take part in the first Allied talks to come out of the Federation's new partnership with the Romulans. But Cisco's conscience weighs heavily on him, compelling him to seek some kind of penance for what he has done, while elements within Starfleet itself set in motion a scheme to use Elam Garrick as a pawn against the human political dissident who may hold the key to the outcome of the war. So I, that's there's no spoilers in that at all. However, there's also another follow-up. Uh, okay, in the Star Trek New Frontier short story by Peter David, and this is found in the Tales of the Dominion War, Stone Cold Truths, it is suggested that the Romulans uncovered – it suggested. It doesn't say it's fact. It just suggested that the Romulans uncovered Cisco's deception at an unknown point in the future leading to open warfare between the United Federations of Planets and the Romulan Star Empire. So I don't know how that's – this is, you know, this is canon, but this is – I guess this was touched on later on in uh, book form, which now may know may go have to look for that Hollow Men book and maybe see if it's on an audio book. That was uh, – book was published in 2005. Hmm. Interesting. I've brought the show to a screeching halt. No, no, I was just listening to, to the novel. What's it called? Uh, Hollow Men. Not to be convinced. Men. Not to be con- not to be confused with Hollow Man, which was uh, was that a TV series and uh, to, to a Kevin Bacon movie? Yeah, it was a it was a yes. Kevin Bacon movie where yeah. he becomes like the evil invisible In- man. Yeah. Not so. So, what do you think uh, Deanna Troy felt when Beta Z fell? Like a thousand, a million voices <laughs> crying out at once. Out. She went, "What was that? What?" <laughs> I thought I felt. She something. said she she probably sensed something yeah, and then went, "Oh fuck it, I'm gonna have some chocolate." I'm thinking she didn't feel. She didn't sense anything. She went. <laughs> Turns out she's making it up all the time. That's why it's so simple. No, she she. She like looked up at Will, made a face, and passed some gas, and went. Hmm. That Must was it. A, Must be uh, that burrito. There's, there's a novel about the there's a novel about the fall of Bejo as well, isn't there? Beta Z, you mean? Beta Z, yes, not uh, Bejo. Bejo, the <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a, I'm pretty sure there's a novel about that also. Well, actually, I, I think there is a novel about the fall of Bejo, but it's a travel book that talks about how it, great it is in that time of the year. Get it? The right. fall of Bejo. Uh, uh-huh. uh, sorry. Just, that was terrible. I will look that up. I will go back to research while you guys talk. Okay, okay. All right. So we'll see what uh, Deanna Troy thought of the fall of Beta Z. Um, guest stars in this episode were also brilliant. I love the Forger. I love him punching Quark out in the middle of the bar. Although, you know, he clearly deserved it. He stabbed him. No, not Quark. Quark didn't deserve it. He seems you know appropriately slimy and creepy and i, I kind of like that he's not like a big you know burly dude he's he's kind of weaselly you know but but he's, he's certainly willing to scrap that he stabs quark uh yeah he, he just is so distasteful right from the start ah. and you can kind of see the way cisco reacts to him that way which is cool uh, mm. sorry i just found out something i didn't want to know 
Uh, so you're in I trouble when you do the research, dude. Uh, so, in Tales of the Dominion War, the short story The Ceremony of Innocence is Drowned tells of what Luxana Troy was doing up to the battle and invasion, and this is a spoiler, including mentioning the unfortunate yet heroic death of Mr. Holm. Oh, no, uh, the barber? Yeah, the big tall dude. The guy How that... can they kill the barber? No, not the barber. The barber. Oh, gonna get his the no, the not the barber. The other guy. Uh, the guy that had the tall dude that gong. travels with it with the gong, yeah. Oh right, okay. No, I think it was. So I think was... it's hum, not home. Hum, right, it's H O M N N. H O M, hum, hum, hum. Was he drunk uh-huh. when they killed him? Yeah. <laughs> oh, That's the story. Why they killed him? All right, the Battle of Beta Z, a novel that tells the fight to recapture Beta Z from the Dominion in detail. Okay, I'll, I'll take a look at that. Let's see if there's any spoilers there. Guest talk, stars. Yeah. They talk the Dominion to death. Mm. Oh, ooh, the cover has uh, the guy, Android. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, the guy played Romulan, Vereen, Verak, whatever his name was, he was brilliant. I really liked him. I recognized the lower half of his face, but I didn't because obviously <laughs> he's, the top half of him is covered in the makeup. I couldn't really? place he, what him. You don't think he was a little fake? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen McHattie. Yeah, him. Hey, McHattie. Yeah, yeah, he's his uh, his lower jaw is very distinctive. Yeah, so I but I don't remember where else I know him from. He was born in Nova Scotia, moved to cool. Babylonia, King Tut. <laughs> <laughs> that just rhymed too well. I couldn't let that go. Yeah. Okay. Television. Oh, Kojak, Centennial, uh, Starsky oh. and Hutch. Oh, he's been around a while then. Adam Twelve. Yeah, he has been around. Uh, Lou Grant. Hill Street Blues, The Hitchhiker, The Equalizer, Spencer for Hire, Guiding Light, Crime Story, Tales from the Dark Side, Life Underwater, Miami Vice, The Twilight Zone in the 1989s, Beauty and the Beast, Law and Order, Counter-Strike, Seeing the Crime, Seinfeld, Secret Service, L.A. Law, Quantum Leap, uh, Northern Exposure, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, Highlander, Mantis. Got to get a Mantis reference in there. Is that uh, from, from the Avengers? No, not that Mantis. The other Mantis with Carl Lumley. Where he played the rich billionaire that created a superhero. Based on the comic bit, wasn't it? Was it? I thought the comic book was based on it. What was that? Oh, okay. X Files, Outer Limits, Lazarus Man, Jag, Walker. Yeah, he's been in a lot. He's been in everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. He hasn't been on this show. He's he he was in Orphan Black. Oh right. Okay. So he is. Yeah, he does get around a lot. Yeah, so, I mean, I skipped ahead, because he's, <laughs> I mean, it goes solid from 2017 to all the way back to 1974 for his TV credits. It goes mm-hmm. solid or slalom. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Mr. Mister McHattie's been around. Mr. McHattie's neighborhood. <laughs> God, now I see him as Mr. R- it's... Mr. Romulan. It's a fake in the neighborhood. Fake that's a, in the neighborhood. That's a lovely drawing, child. Too bad. It's a fake. I, I love that, that delivery. I mean, you brought it up already. But I remember when this was... I, I watched this one, you know, when it was new. And I remember even, like, fixating on it back then. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure the conversa- the water cooler conversations we had at work about DS9 at that time included a lot of imitations of that delivery. Standing at the water cooler, yeah. So we just got this new contract from somebody. I looked at his signature, but it's a fake. Yeah, it was. It was a conversation of that of that nature. 
So I do I do have a coworker who was also watching it at the time and we would compare notes periodically on what was going on in the show and I do recall making fun of it at that time. But it's there's something about like the way he says it that just seems it's over the top but it seems so earnest. <laughs> it yeah, it's over the top but yet it's not over the top. It's it still fits. Yeah, like, you know you know what it's it does not an episode that would have been good with over the top acting. By by you know Basically, he takes, you know, a word that should take, you know, a fraction of a second to say, and he says it over, like, three seconds, and it just allows that dread Because it wouldn't have to, been a good if, in. if he had just said, it's a fake. It wouldn't have had the emotional impact. It no. Just, you know, and, and you like just, he's you, so angry. He's so just, and you And you can feel Cisco's heart plummet oh, as yeah. it's going on, because you're thinking along with him that yeah this they're gonna of course they're gonna fool them this is you know it's a star trek episode of course it's gonna they're gonna fool them you know this the the, the next thing was to you know bring spock in to make love to a romulan commander uh, you know they're, they'll do what's one way or the other they you know you always fool the romulans then we're gonna dress kirk up as a romulan and no one's gonna know it's him <laughs> well i think it's garrick has a line i, I think he said it he says give him what he wants or forget the whole enterprise I just mm, thought that incident. was me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's the delivery allows you to just feel his heart sink with it, and I think it's just like perfect a perfect moment because you start saying to yourself, "Well, how are they going to get? You know, how what's going to happen now? Is is, is Romulan? You know, Romulus going to go from non-aggressiveness with the Dominion to teaming up with them now? You know, you're thinking they it totally went the other way, but then they join him. Hmm. All because of Garrick. Yeah, the, the savior of the Federation. He stands for every one of us. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Garrick! <laughs> Got me an optolytic data rod. <laughs> it's fake! <laughs> Instead of Gordon's alive, it's fake! <laughs> that would actually be really good. Dum, 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 dum. Garrick! <laughs> Romulans die. <laughs> Sorry, you've watched that film far too many times. With me, no, no. <laughs> Father, he used ball worms. It's uh, any, anything else to uh, discuss on this episode? I posted in the chat the cover of the Battle of Beta Z with uh, Deanna Troy brandishing a, a laser rifle. Okay. And apparently, a quick blurb I read, oh, though please. it took many she lives... Would never... Why is she on the cover? Stop. She was the leader of the Resistance. Wait, wait. Okay, the leader of the Resistance. So they're trying oh, to make her no, into no, no, hero. Sorry, sorry. Luxana Troy was the leader of the Resistance. Though it took many lives and a lot of time, the Beta Zoids won the battle via invasive telepathic means... Deanna Troy also participated and stayed strong throughout the whole ordeal. Yeah, right. I don't when have any problem with Diana as a character, really, even though we make fun of her all the time. But she's not a warrior. You don't put her out there with a gun, please. It would be cool if they put her out there with a gun and she got shot and killed within five minutes. Nobody would see that. <laughs> that would be that would be I mean, more likely the result. That would that would be a really big surprise. So apparently, many Betazoids died from the mental strain. <laughs> 
did Benny Betazard's dad to bring us this information? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly what I said. Because it says, well, when even full Betazoids died from the mental strain, from their invasive telepathic means, says the Betazoids needed help from Hent Trevren, a Betazoid serial killer who used ancient psionic techniques to murder. So basically the Betazoids all became a bunch of murderers and were probably... Murderers! Uh, the Chamber of the Ages. No. So, uh, so yeah, probably the Federation never really looked at the same after that. Uh, yeah, you killed a bunch of people. I don't know about that. We, we can't really trust you. Krell Moset is in this. Uh, he was a character that was in one of our previous episodes. Uh, what was he in? Uh, which episode was that? Oh, wait, no, I think that's... Uh, nope, that's in a Voyager episode. I'm getting confused. He was mentioned, I think, in a... Uh, Deep Space Nine, but he was in a... Uh, oh, that's the one where the doctor is uh, trying to find out information, and he pulls up a hologram of him, and the guy was pretty horrible, and then the doctor realizes, man, you're pretty horrible! So, anyway. <laughs> you suck! <laughs> so, yep. Alright. <laughs> I don't think we have really anything... I mean, we're not going to break any new ground with this, I don't think, because uh, there's just so much. Uh, I, I guess we could talk more about some quotes. Quotes. There's another quote besides fake. I can live with that. I yeah, but can he? What, what, before we nip off, what do you think yeah. of the editor? Do you think he can live with it? Or he has no choice but to live with it? Uh, he has no I think choice it's the latter. No choice. Yeah. yeah. I, don't th- I don't think he's ever going to be happy with it. I think it will haunt him. Well, I think that the fact he that this. he... He can't live with it, which is why he erased the lock. And he backlight. says it three times. I can live with that. No, he says, I, I, well, yeah, yeah. he says I, I will learn to live with it because I can live with it. I can live with it. But at the end of it is this the, the silent, can't I? Question <laughs> that isn't said but is implied. Yeah. At least in my mind when I watch it. Yeah, I got the distinct impression that it isn't something that he can live with. It's something that he's going to have to live with. Because every Brooks is astonishing in this episode. I mean, we take the piss sometimes when oh. he goes slightly over the top. But he's he's brilliant in this one. This is he, Emmy Award winning he's by not, everybody in it. He comes close to being over the top, but he's not. He, he holds it, it back. Yeah. yeah. This is a huge victory for the good guys. That's about as close as he gets to you know that and a few other points. Yeah, oh, but you, when he's beating the shit out of Garrick, <laughs> so, yeah. but he's angry. Yeah, you killed a huge victory for the for the good guys line though. He's, he's supposed to be bombastic because he's being sarcastic. Mister Fantastic, Mister Lova Lova. Sorry, good pass. Not that bombastic. Jelly Fantastic. <laughs> so he, he starts to go over the top, but then he glides into a slalom. Mm-hmm. I just can't get that out of my head. I'm sorry. I gotta keep bringing it up. Oh, Vreenak is so condescending when he's the. Uh, so you're the commander of Deep Space Nine in the MSR. I thought you'd be tall. <laughs> so sorry to disappoint you. To be honest, my opinion of Starfleet officers is so low. You have to work very hard indeed to disappoint me. <laughs> oh dear. So. Where do we go next? Uh, so, oh, all right, Tolar. So Garrett kills Tolar. I, I might no, be no lost there. I would not lose sleep over that. I'm, no, but I, when did he do that? I, I had to rewind that a couple of times because I wasn't entirely sure that he had killed him. I think he kills him, and this may undermine my 
discussed. I, he was going to kill Tolar regardless if it worked or not. Oh, I, I, yeah, I believe that. Because, because Tolar couldn't keep his mouth shut. Yeah, there's an unnecessary to... person there who knows what's going on. Garrett was shoving him out of the airlock, whether he told Cisco or not. T- to me, Garrett killed him exactly at the moment after he says, after um, Cisco roughs him up and shoves him against the wall. And says, you're not going anywhere, right? So, And then Garrick says, why don't you go back to your quarters and I'll be along shortly? That's when he killed them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he didn't wait till yeah, when, when Vreenak was done. He was dead before Vreenak even left the station. Yeah, when he, once he's got that data rod in his hand, he's expendable. Yeah, yeah. And even Andy Robinson's look, his eyes like kind of like widened and he smiled at him. Tolar knew he was dead. Mm. Yeah, I like the line Cisco used where he s- says about change. I've changed the agreement, and I would have. Oh, my- <laughs> yeah, pray I do not alter it further. I know. <laughs> <laughs> all we needed was for Cisco to say it still keeps getting worse all the time. <laughs> okay, so Bill, <laughs> what what are you, are you what are you what are you giving this five of? Oh, but wait, are, are we going to rate first? there's more. Then, what about Blaine? Are we going to... No, we well, do that. Yeah, we rate, then we... I'm going to give it five optolithic data rods, or five Tolar shoved out in airlock. Or five... Five. Yeah, I'm a five also. If if I could give it a 5.1 just because of the fake line, I would do that. But no, I'll stick with five. I was I was going to give it a three, but the fake line elevated it to five. <laughs> Anybody else next? I think it's fives all across the board, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I guess it's almost superfluous to uh, to, to try and pretend it's going to be anything else. Superfluous? Wait, I think I've seen that spelled out before. I think it's superfluous, right? <laughs> yeah. Right along with hyperboil. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so Blaine says, do we have a Blaine song? Blaine! <laughs> there you go. Okay, so Blaine says, Hi all, this is it. A few emails ago, I alluded to the highest rated episode of the series coming up, as chosen by IMDB voters. That is, This is that episode, currently edging out trials and tribulations by a very narrow margin. I say currently as of the time of this writing. I'm listening to the final DS9 Bible entry in episode 60 of this podcast, which has been available for almost two hours now. So now we know when Blaine wrote this email, if we look back to when it was posted. This is one of the most distinctly Deep Space Nine episodes in all of Star Trek. The franchise has been facing tough ethical questions since long before it was a franchise, but it has generally chosen to make Starfleet officers the shining stars and clear holders of the moral high ground. That is most definitely not the case here. Gene Roddenberry famously forbade certain types of interpersonal conflict between Starfleet members because mankind had outgrown them, and conflict could only arise from disagreements as to how best serve the greater good. That's what we have here. Cisco makes questionable choices to best serve the greater good. This shows the dark side of Roddenberry's vision, <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, but it's still his decision. <clears throat> Other random comments. Isn't asking Garrick if he has another plan redundant? Maybe he was testing to see if he was a founder, which is the only explanation had his answer been no. 
Bashir protest works well given the way we've treated biomimetic gel in the past. It's a sign that Cisco may be going too far. Garrick has proven to be ca- a capable physical fighter in the past, yet his response to Cisco's assault is purely defensive. He may not be able to take out Cisco, who has also proven capable, though he'd certainly make him work for the victory. Instead, he recognizes that Cisco needs to blow off steam, but can still be reasoned with. Cisco's slow disrobing works well. I felt it signified abandoning the Starfleet ideals along with the uniform, but I'm not sure if that's what the creators intended. This is one of the episodes I missed the first time around, which is obviously very unfortunate. I'm still processing it two hours after it ended. That's a very good sign. Blaine. I agree. I yeah, he's it. right, because the initial thing when Cisco walks in and basically he backhands Garrick and flips him over a table, you might think it was like, wait a minute, he should, well, where did he gain all this? I mean, yeah, he's angry, but, you know, and you might get a little bit of strength from adrenaline, but he's suddenly like the Hulk. And but it's Garrick's letting him, like Blaine says, work you know, work it out of himself. And um, I think the creator, I think in some of the read up stuff that I was reading, that they did show that Cisco was disrobing, like he was shedding, you know, himself to the listener, to the viewer. I got that he was burning his soul. Right. Thank you. That's the, actually what I wanted to say, but couldn't do it quite as eloquently as you did, my my lovely English friend. Yeah, he's he's removing Starfleet's uniform as a symbolic gesture. It was cl- very cleverly done, that actually. Mm-hmm. Plus, he got hammered. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I got crabs in my pants. Watch me dance. Oh, 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 oh. Well, you don't realize you know, I'm wearing the MC Hammer pants right now. Hey. What are they, like harem pants? I, I used to have a pair of those. Did you really? I don't want to talk about it. It was my clubbing days. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Is that and you or you after the tash? <laughs> and you what? found somebody who was willing to marry you, huh? I did. I was when I was in the navy. I was drunk a lot. Okay. It's when you when you when you weren't wearing the village people outfits. <laughs> hey, that was my uniform, man. I didn't have a choice in that. Yeah, but you didn't have to dance to the song all the time. Having to sing that stupid in the navy song all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and when, when you say blah, it was your blah, uniform, blah. when you say it was your uniform, why did you have to dress as the construction worker? <laughs> That's what I do now. Shh. Leave him alone. The money's good. <laughs> Women pay a lot for a 50-year-old uh, overweight guy with high blood pressure and diabetes just to come in and shake that booty for them. It's the new 19, you know. <laughs> Down to bald. <laughs> anyway, next time on all new episode of Listen to the Prophets, we did it his way. He's lovesick and looking for a cure. The woman waited a year for you to make an offer. So Odo's turning to a ladies' man. You want to win the girl? We got to thaw you out a little bit. A holographic matchmaker who knows all the right moves. It's time to have some fun. But can a swinging lounge lizard cool truly change a changeling? Cool is one thing, but you're frozen solid. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. See you all then. Bye-bye. Really? Nobody's going to... I, I, I got to do this? Yeah. It's a fake! Listen to the Prophets at Deep Space Nine Podcast is a Two True Freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. 
The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. I is clever. <laughs> what are you, what are you right? <laughs> No, I was going to say, what is he? What is he, a hoarder? Yeah. No cold eye. No cold eye. No hoarder. kill eye! Pain! A hoarder cold would be horrible. Oh, my God. The sneezes would be the problem. He's throwing ass everywhere. That's you. What about if Yaffet from the Orville got a cold? How could you tell? Yeah. He would be. He would turn into Norm Macdonald.